Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Pamela Hutchinson. And I'm Rogan Graham. On the show today, the Queen of Soul gets the biopic treatment in the Aretha Franklin flick, Respect. We have the Berlin Film Festival drama, Co-Pilot. And in Film Club, we're going back to the 60s for Joseph Losey's subversive drama, The Servant. Plus, David Jenkins beams in to share his highlights from the Venice Film Festival. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Pamela. Rogan, Rogan, how have you been? Have you, has your life been changed since Space Jam 2? Do you know what? It's only gone up since Space Jam 2. Everything has improved significantly. Um, <laughs> no, I've been, I've been well. I have a slight cold, so if you can hear that, apologies, but I've been very well. Good. good, good, good. I hope, hope that cold clears up soon. Um, Pamela, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Since we've revamped it earlier in the year, we'd like to reintroduce our guests. So, Pamela, who are you? What do you do? Who am I and what do I do? I've no idea. Um, I'm a freelance writer, film critic, do a bit of film history. I'm often found talking about silent cinema, uh, but I'm going to try not to do that today because I don't think that's relevant. Yes, of course. What I love is uh, whenever I, I speak with you and you know, most of our colleagues are off to Venice or Toronto or Cannes, you're often going to another festival completely. So everyone was jetting off to Venice and you were going completely elsewhere in Europe, mm. I believe, right? Yeah, I just got back from Indie Lisboa, where um, one of the things that I was really excited to see was the Sarah Mulder retrospective, which was incredibly in-depth and fantastic, and I wrote a little piece for Little White Lies about that. Um, of the new films I saw, I really enjoyed the new Alice Diop documentary, New, which oh. is uh, lots of snippets of Parisi and suburban life and a very personal film. But yeah, normally I'm going somewhere where there are no, there's no dialogue, but this time <laughs> I made an exception. Terrific. Can't wait to read that piece. But speaking of film festivals, David Jenkins has literally just returned from Venice. So I grabbed him for 10, 15 minutes to ask about his highlights. And let's have a listen to those right now. David Jenkins, welcome back. How was Venice? It was delightful, thank you. Very warm. I got covered in mosquito bites. I'm I'm more bite than man now, but... uh, yeah, I'm back. I'm full of Aperol spritz and just going to spend the next sort of week detoxing. What's the, what's the staple diet out in Venice? Is that a gelato place? We're eating lots of pizza. What was going on? Oh, God, it was pizza and pasta, relentless. I mean, there's no, there's, there is no real other options, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's all about kind of in between films, grabbing what you can. And they had sort of the only thing they had that was fairly quick turnaround was pizza. Mm-hmm. So by, by about the the, the third or fourth day I was a kind of mass a kind of carb carb blob rolling around the place <laughs> yeah but I suppose yeah quick turnaround between screenings is what you want at a festival um from afar it seemed like a really great year for that first week or so everyone was giving five stars out like it was no tomorrow it really was they were making those five stars rain really wasn't it but how <laughs> um, is it for you do you want to talk through some of your highlights yeah, no, it was a it was a really nice festival. It was a weird one because it was uh, a coat like a, a sort of the first big COVID uh, Venice after last year, which was a kind of smaller a, a smaller affair. Still had a sort of fair number of press last year, but from from what I understand, it was far more intimate. This year, it was there was lots of press, and it was still like socially distant screenings. So you know fewer seats and more more sort of competition to actually get the tickets to see the films and that made things a little bit more kind of anxiety 
driven than you'd like a festival but yeah it was um it was a weird one because all the sort of big american or english language hollywood films were all sort of stacked at the top end because um because of telluride which happens over the first weekend which is a kind of another big festival in america which takes all these films that have played in venice and rescreens them but venice has to have the world premiere so you they sort of end up just encasing them all in those first three days so it's super intense so the first the, yeah the first the, the opening film was probably my favorite which was the new pedro almodovar film parallel mothers um which is you know it, it's him doing his thing mm. his his kind of intricate immaculate amazing thing of like a melodrama that is about um uh two two women who have children at the same time and they're kind of intersecting lives and one of the mothers is played by Penelope Cruz and it's kind of a film that I mean I think a lot of his sort of most more recent films have this element of like he he's got this such a he's got such a huge kind of canon of films now that you know you have this element of he's he's kind of referencing his his older works and sort of almost not less referencing them but like kind of bringing them like evolving them bringing them back in and sort of riffing on those stories in new ways and this one kind of feels like a, the sort of emerging of all the best of his films films like Volver and All About My Mother and Talk to Her and yeah it's just it's just incredible I think um Pe- Penelope Cruz mm-hmm. she, she she had two films in the festival which were both great another one called Official Competition which is a which in which she plays a director which you might have seen on on Twitter that uh, or social media that she'd kind of when she uh was when she went to shoot the film she held up a picture of the director alma alma el haral and said make me look like this so she has these huge um frizzy frizzy kind of ginger locks and uh she's wearing like sequin cat suits and stuff like that so um but that that one's a really funny film that was that official competition and antonio banderas in it with her and yeah it's like a really funny kind of filmmaking satire and it's kind of bring the house down type of like cinema experience mm-hmm. yeah talk us through some of these big english language movies then you started off with Armodova, but uh what, what else is playing there that stood out yeah so that was the penelope axis so yeah um i think i think probably um weirdly the bit that the uh the, the the most sort of beloved um was was dune by denise villeneuve um which is his huge sci-fi epic, which was on the cover of the recent Little White Lies magazine, which is out now for your uh, delectation. Um, and it was one of those films what, that I saw and I kind of, wa- I was watching it and, and just thinking, wow, I really like this. It's really good. It's, it's, it's kind of got this sort of breathtaking epic scope. It's, it's, it's sort of doing some stuff that maybe we haven't seen in these movies before. It's kind of quite slow burn and, you know, there's, there's kind of dramatic scenes that play out. And this is, you know, it's all based on this famous uh, sci-fi novel from the 60s by Frank Herbert. And it's quite a kind of close adaptation um, of this quite huge book. So like, I think fans of the book are going to be very, very happy with this. But yeah, um, and it it's... It, it's got Timothy Chalamet in it as as the kind of god king in waiting Paul Atreides and he has there are sandworms and there are uh, kind of helicopters that look like mosquitoes and there's uh, elbow fighting and there's massive huge vistas of of deserts that kind of are sort of radiating in the dusk and yeah you've got it's 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 kind of epic on 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 all levels really and you've got this kind of quite i think quite subtle but really effective hans zimmer score as well um and it's yeah it i i was kind of like my feeling was i lo- i really loved it and i i wasn't sure what anyone else was gonna gonna take from it maybe they thought it was too slow or you know because it ends halfway through the book so you're kind of like well this is only a this is this is not a film it's just a kind of prelude to something else but it kind of it kind of gets by that which we should when you'll see it, you'll know what I mean. But yeah, it's and and then uh, the, the the reviews that the embargo broke, so you wait kind of twenty four hours till you can post your reviews, and then it kind of the floodgates open, and then it was just 
yeah this everyone was 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 hopped up on it which was which was lovely to see really because um yeah it's it's offering something a, a bit different to the kind of whiz bang mcu type blockbuster. yeah and well, really love to see as someone who you know part of the big group of people who don't get to see it at a festival who've been waiting so long for this because it's been one of those covid delayed films uh, to hear that there is something exciting about it is uh, is all the better. So we mentioned Penelope Cruz earlier, who said it was in two films. The person who really seemed to own the festival, run the table, you could say, uh, as Oscar Isaac, both on screen and on the red carpet. Um, was 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 he was he good? <laughs> he was he. I mean, I think Oscar Isaac is one of those people who, since Inside Lewin Davis, he has, which which I still think is like his best performance. He has been in. He's been good in some quite, you know, mediocre films, and I think that this Venice leveled the tables a bit, where the films matched his his charisma and his his kind of level of performance. Um, he's in June in a sort of smaller role, um, in which he's very good. And then, uh, but may, maybe the highlight for me was the Card Counter, which is the new Paul Schrader film, his follow up to. Um, uh first reformed uh which was a few years ago and was was it was considered rightly a kind of major return to form for him it's 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 schrader's usual thing about you know he's got this quote unquote god's lonely man who is um struggling with existence in some sort of strange very personal way uh it's about he plays a character who has gone to prison for some reason that you find out later on and while there he learned taught himself how to count cards so he's he's kind of a poker whiz and we join him as he's kind of just driving around america to these slightly seedy crummy casinos and keeping his head down winning decent amounts of money just to get himself by but not sort of not going not going too big as to sort of spoil like draw suspicion and uh yeah you know make make people sort of wet you know he doesn't want to be kind of blackballed from these places which you can be for for card counting so um but then a kind of he meets a guy uh played by ty sheridan and they have a conversation and then it, it suddenly unlocks this sort of dual narrative um and yeah things things get really exciting and and yeah it's a really kind of um it's a really kind of slick purposeful quite very stripped back um sometimes quite funny but 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 oftentimes quite you know the implicate it's a film that doesn't necessarily have like violence in it but like there's there are implications of extreme violence that sort of sit outside the frame that kind of manage that that sort of up the stakes of of the drama yeah it's a really great film i think like first reformed was 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 brilliant but maybe sat a bit more in the sort of art house realm, whereas this is this almost feels like someone said, "Oh, could you do First Reformed again, but make it a little bit more kind of genre, mm-hmm. genre-y, so it could could play to a wider audience?" And I mean, if if that was the brief, it, like Schrader's completely nailed it because I mean, it's a just on a very superficial level. I think this one's a more kind of fun film if that if that kind of if that term comes into into play when you're dealing with this sort of subject matter really. So there there are a handful of films there from sort of known quantities that we may have you know known the names of those filmmakers beforehand it's good to know that those will likely come out on the horizon. Are there any sort of off the grid picks that you recommend us looking out for? Yeah, I mean I I guess at time of recording we haven't seen what the prizes are going to be bong joon ho is the uh the jury president and, and there's a lot of talk about what's bong what's bong gonna like oh bong's gonna like this bong's gonna like that but i think he's a man of quite eclectic taste so nobody really knows what he's going to go for i think my my t- two of my favorites in the competition were a bit more i guess a bit more low-key one is called il buco by a film uh, uh by a Italian filmmaker Michelangelo Framatino. Uh, he made a film in 2010 called La Quattro Volte, which was about basically about goats. It was just shots of goats, but it was amazing. In that film, he kind of brought in this these questions about um, what what's being what's being set up by the director, what's documentary, who knows where that line sits. And this new film is is about a uh, it's about a spelunking mission in the early 60s 
in which a group of cavern divers uh, drive off into the to the wilderness in Calabria, which is sort of southern southern Italy, and they uh, they descend into this abyss with just ropes and pretty much yeah some 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 very bad uh, lights on their helmets. And it's kind of a document of them discovering the third deepest cavern in the world. And you, it, it, it's got a, almost kind of got a, like a Werner Herzog vibe to it because it's like, you're, you, you know, he's actually gone down and he's filming in this place. And on one hand, you're kind of, wow, the, this is an amazing feat that's being filmed. But then you're kind of thinking, how, well, how the hell did they manage to do it? And there are stories about how he managed to film it, which are kind of mind blowing, really, like. It, it, you know, it's been 10 years since he's made his last film and you think, well, maybe he spent quite a lot of it making this one because <laughs> it, do, it does not look like, it, you know, he set, he set the bar high for himself. Um, but yeah, I, I believe that one has been picked up and it's going to be at the LFF. So definitely look out for that. Another an, another one, which my, my final shout out goes to a film called L'Evenement, a French film by a first time uh, uh, filmmaker called Audrey Dewan. Uh, based on an, on one of her a memoir by um, Annie Erno, who uh, has all those um, books released in English translation on Fitzcarraldo editions, those nice books with the white covers, and um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a kind of chron- chronicle of her her attempts in the 90, in early I think it's about sixty two in sort of rural France. She uh, she, she's a student in a school and she's got a bright future and she wants to, to learn literature and she's 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 top of the class. Uh, she gets pregnant after the summer break and uh, she, she wants, you know, her, her kind of knee-jerk decision is I want to get rid of the baby. And because illegal, uh, abortion is illegal in, in, in France at that time and it's illegal even if you're kind of, if you help someone else get an abortion, which is, you know, considering what's happening in Texas now, it's very, very, very timely film. But yeah, it's just a very kind of unswerving, unsentimental chronicle of this girl's attempts to get an abortion and basically the, the measures she has to take that are kind of not within the realms of legality, which um, the film kind of shows you. So you kind of, uh, you know, you're seeing quite a lot of um, quite, quite sort of hard hitting and intense material in the film uh but but that feels very kind of justified it's not it's not kind of gratuitous at all it's like you know this is a film about showing the reality of the options that women have if they don't have reproductive health care available to them and it's it's not really a political film um like in its intention but obviously it's going to be it's going to be one that's going to cause wide debate i think even though it's like to me, seems like there isn't really an argument for the other side if you watch this film, but I'm sure there'll be people who have one. Um, yeah, uh, I don't believe it's been picked up yet as t- at time of recording, but hopefully it will be. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it wins a prize. Maybe, feels like it will get like a jury prize or something. It, it, um, I don't think... I, I think some people found it a bit heavy going for the to be the big, the big one, but... Um, but yeah, um, but on that on that on a final note, I would say that my 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 probably my tip for the for the big prize is probably Jane Campion's Power of the Dog. It's it's almost like yeah, it, it, it's a kind of western about toxic masculinity uh, with Be- Benedict Cumberbatch, and it's I think just as a piece of filmmaking, as a piece of craft. Uh, and the, the sort of detail that's gone into the recreation of, I think it's like 1910s Montana, rural Montana. Uh, it's set in this ranch and the the level of detail in the production design and the way it's filmed and the, the costumes and the dialogue is just kind of breathtaking. Um, I mean, I... I, I, I for me, the the, the actual storyline didn't quite land entirely. It's I mean, it's, it's extremely good film, and it's you know the, the 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 kind of talent and the the the, the quality are, are very very conspicuous. But like, yeah, it, it it's just there was just something about it's kind of it has this very kind of tricksy second act which didn't quite land for me. But um, 
but yeah, no, that's that's set to come out soon. And I, I, I would suspect I, it'd be interesting to see. I, I mean, another thing that happens at festivals that you get a lot of is people go and see and see films and they come out going, oh, Oscar mm-hmm. for her. Oh, Oscar for him. It's, there's lots of this kind of knee jerk Oscar prognostication. And it's interesting because I thought that this would be an oscar film, but I think maybe some people may, might think it's a little bit too subtle and right. uh, slow burn for, for the Oscar set. But um, Camp- Campion definitely, at, le- at the very least, deserves Best Director. Wow. Well, that's we'll, we'll have to wait and see in the short term for what wins uh, all of the, the Lions. Um, this, this, uh, the the Venice Film Festival, but then also Oscars next year. Also, it would be amazing to actually talk about these films when they do come out. I guess some of them will be on you know out almost immediately. Some of them maybe one of those that come out in a year t- year's time from a smaller distributor. But uh, we can't wait to watch them. David, thank you for sharing your Venice highlights with us. Thank you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you to David for sharing his highlights and his predictions for all things Venice Film Festival. Pamela, what was the food culture like at Liz- in Liz- India Lisboa? So David said it was very pizza heavy in Venice, of course. Well, you know, there's nothing like um, sort of the slow, relaxed service of Lisbon cuisine and therefore you don't get your dinner until you're already on the terrace watching the Sarah Moldora films outside. And uh, I had uh, I had vegetarian lasagna and uh, Sarah Moldora's festival films and that was my favourite bit of film culture. That's the way to do it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> OK, enough festival talk. We have new releases to discuss. Up first, we have Respect. Following the rise of Aretha Franklin's career from a young child singing in her father's church's choir to international superstardom, Respect is the true story of the music icon's journey to find her voice and become the Queen of Soul. So, Rogan, R-E-S-P-C-T, I'd like to find out what it means to you. Uh, what did you make of this? Um, you know, I thought it was a pretty standard biopic. I thought, um, you know... I don't want that to sound like an insult. You know, I, I did, it was the film that got Aretha Franklin's, Aretha Franklin's blessing. Um, mm-hmm. She requested Jennifer Hudson. She, you know, had, I guess, as much final say as she could um, before her death on how her story would be told. And I think the film uh, reflects that. I think you see, yeah, a glimpse, or more than a glimpse, but you see the real hardship she went through early in her life. It, it's interesting, actually, because the film only covers from the ages of 10 to 30. And as we mm. know, she lived into her 70s. So you see the real beginnings of her and, and sort of what made her. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a real Jennifer Hudson uh, showcase. They're really gunning for that, for, <laughs> for that nomination at least. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much what I expected. It's something that I feel like my, my mum would go and watch on a Sunday. Um, and again, that's not an insult. I think that's pretty. That's what it's the film sets out to do, and uh, and it does and it does it. It does it well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pamela, let's start with Jennifer Hudson then. 
um, there was some kerfuffle on social media around a, an out of context quote about how it was it, they 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 almost flattered Aretha Franklin by having Jennifer Hudson in the role. We don't need to drag over that, but is it how is her impersonation? Does she does she compose herself well in this? Well, Jennifer Hudson's always quite a joyful presence on film. She's a very sweet actress. I thought that there were times when her impersonation of Aretha Franklin, obviously, is so famous, you have to attempt an impersonation, was quite spot on. But I did feel that it wavered quite often. It's it's odd um, that she's playing a character who often doesn't say much about what she's thinking. And then when she does say something, it has quite a lot of import. There are a lot of scenes in this film of people, men, sorry, talking over Aretha Franklin. And then, of course, when Jennifer Hudson does come out with her sort of one compliment, you know, that bass line was rocking. You know, you really you really feel it. I think that Jennifer Hudson does a fantastic job because she's one of the few people who could even attempt to sing, um, the, you know, to impersonate the vocals, uh, as well as performing the role. But I did think her performance wavered quite a bit. I was very impressed with the child actress who played her as a young girl. Um, she was very sweet and very difficult role, the earlier life of Aretha Franklin, obviously. Uh, so so that that carried it through for me a little bit. Rogan, do you agree about that? How is Hudson for you? I do, I do agree. I think that the film runs at like two and a half hours. I thought long films aren't an enemy, but I did feel it. I did feel it. And I think somewhere in the middle, I did think to myself, um, this could have perhaps been a film about a struggling young woman in the music industry in the 60s. There is There are chunks of the film that don't necessarily feel like Aretha Franklin um, uh, because they are sort of there to showcase how well Jennifer Hudson can sing. Uh, really, you know, they really, you know, they perform the full songs at the piano. Um, and it's, in- it's interesting, yeah, I think she definitely wavered. The moments that she's spot on, she is spot on, but they do feel few and far between. But because she is such a in an enjoyable presence, you know, it may not matter to to everyone. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, two and a half hours. <laughs> of course, this is a podcast, so I know I've not seen Respect, so I really do. <laughs> I was mouth, you know mouth agape there at that. Um, is, does it deserve two and a half hours, Pamela? Uh, I think it's really interesting, Rogan's suggestion actually that you cut it down to uh, a young woman in the sixties music industry because that's the most interesting part of the film in many ways. I mean, you wouldn't want to be without Forrest Whitaker playing her father, who's so fantastically ambivalent as a. Um, but the most interesting parts of the film for me were about how Aretha Franklin did negotiate the 60s music industry and her creation of her music. I'm a, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm still a, a mask wearer in the cinema and I found my mask stretching as I grinned widely uh, during the, the extended respect sequence where she sort of starts pootling along the piano and then her sisters come in and then suddenly she's at Madison Square Gardens and you think, you know, maybe music hit its high point at this very moment. I mean, it's very, it's very strong on moments like that when you see her at work. And I think it feeds into one of the, there's a throwaway line in the film where one of her sisters calls her a genius. And there is a little bit about this film. It, it can feel quite conventional biopic-wise, but it's definitely got a mission, which is to give Aretha Franklin credit beyond being that famous singer that your parents like, you know. Uh, there's a sort of, there's a big feminist spirit in this film. So yeah, maybe we could have done that. We could have, we could have centred on that and tried, rather than having to have the scenes of alcoholism and so on and extended bad husband moments. Hmm. We've spoken about a lot of music documentaries very recently on, on the show, quite a lot of really good, strong new releases. And that's always the question for me. I will watch music documentaries uh, till the cows come home, but biopics I have trouble with, mainly for that reason where they're so conventional or they often are too macrocosmic rather than f- focusing in on the interesting story. Um, of course, we had a great Aretha Franklin documentary, uh, or it was more of a performance film, Amazing Grace, that came out quite recently. Is there something here that we're not getting in that documentary that would put this in place of that, Rogan, Pramela? Um, no, uh, no, I, I'm with you. I definitely prefer a music documentary over a biopic. Um, but no, I mean, Amazing Grace is absolutely incredible. And this is, you know, a sort of Oscar contender paint by numbers, as I said. Um, yeah, I think definitely if you didn't know anything about her early life, and the like tremendous abuse she went through um, as a child, then you know you would come away learning something. But I think 
no, no, I'm not sure it artistically or about Aretha. You know, it doesn't reveal anything, I would say, uh, unique about her talent or, or genius in this film, no. Of course, it does lead into Amazing Grace. So if you were to double bill, um, you might have a preference for the second half, but this film ends with the concert that was recorded um, in 1972 at the, the, the church in California that was Amazing Grace. So it would definitely wet your whistle for it. But yeah, no, this, I mean, that film is sort of spine tingling. And I'm afraid respect is not spine tingling. It's it's a you know the most middle brow genre of all the biopic, and they do a nice job with it for the most part. There's always the awkward moments where they sort of get a phone call with bad news and so on. But uh, one thing I did like um, often with biopics, there's an awful lot of oh look that's Elvis Presley kind of moments. And there's a really early scene in this film where the young Aretha Franklin is at party, and there are all these great. Um, musical names there. Mary J. Blige is fantastic, isn't she? Um, but as a child, she looks really awestruck. So when she's saying, you know, hello, Auntie Ella, you, it's quite natural because she's as overwhelmed as as a person might be. But yeah, generally, it, it falls into many of the pitfalls of the biopic. I um, I highly recommend it for people on a Sunday afternoon who want to listen to Jennifer Hudson sing. That sounds like quite a yeah, quite an undertaking Sunday afternoon double bill, this film. <laughs> then Amazing Grace afterwards. That's going to be a good four hours of your time, I suppose. But let's put some scores on respect. Uh, Rogan, I'll come to you first. This is In Anticipation, Enjoyment, In Retrospect, out of five. I think I would give it a three across the board, honestly, because uh, I I don't think I would give it anything lower because it does what it says on the tin. Yeah, I I wasn't really going in expecting anything. I don't know boundary breaking or you know and it, it does what it says on the tin and it's perfectly fine if you were after another Aretha Franklin biopic I you know you, I don't think you could go too wrong with this so there you go <laughs> Pamela this may be the most three out of five film of all time because it really earns those three points you know there's some great performances in here obviously great music uh it's very nicely done uh good to see Callie Corey writing but no yeah, it doesn't go any higher than a three for me. And uh, three out of five ain't bad. I'm sure, yeah. Never, never true words spoken. Okay, that was Respect. Up next, we're going to a film that premiered at the Berlin Film Festival earlier this year, Co-Pilot. When sharp science student Asli meets charismatic Saeed in the mid-90s, it's love at first sight. The lovers marry, and Asli swears to be true to Saeed and never betray his secrets. Their future looks bright, but as the 21st century dawns, Saeed makes a decision that will not only shatter Asli's dreams, but shake the whole world to the core. Pamela, I suppose to start with on this film, it does have something that, you know, there is a context to this film, that if this were... A Marvel movie, it could be classed as a spoiler, but of course it's a festival movie, so this is important context we should discuss. So could you please like, you know, introduce us a bit to what Copilot is doing, what that context is, please? So Copilot is a rip from the headlines film, absolutely. It's based on something that happened in real life, but then it fictionalises a lot of that. And I wouldn't really want anyone to go into this film not knowing where it's leading, because it's quite upsetting, obviously. It is, it's a 9-11 film, in some ways. It's about... Uh, one of the young men who was involved in the 9-11 attack and it's about his wife and I think it's interesting to me because often with attacks like this there was a lot of purient headlines around the widows afterwards you know how much Mm -hmm. did they know I think people are looking for someone to blame this film sort of uh, promises to explore what it would like be like to be that woman but it's definitely trying to suggest that there's a lot of innocence involved and that the you know trying to sort of say no it's just a romance like any other it wasn't quite a romance like any other I think and um, so there are people that will be opposed to this film from the outset or wary of this film from the outset for the most part it's a very sweet sort of naturalistic romance sort of Romeo and Juliet because her, her mother disapproves of the marriage um vibe you know handheld camera work, lots of people standing up in cars and splashing around in the the lake. Uh, And there's a lot of sweetness to the film, which then might feel a little bit sour when you get to the end, I think. 
Yeah, so it actually puts it more maybe in a similar genre, maybe to these true crime films we've had recently, like Charlie Says, about the women that are part of Charles Manson's family, and then also the film, that the uh, Zac Efron film with a very long title, that I, oh. I can't remember. Um, uh... Violin something cruel of... Something <laughs> which again was film. <laughs> l- l- looking at the sort of women in the context because yeah. that's sort of a, a part of true crime. Uh, Rogan, what did what did you make of that aspect of it? Is it doing something anything interesting here with that? No, I mean I think there is potential there for a really interesting film about you you know the gradual radicalization of a young man and how you know his wife deals with that or or turns a blind eye or or doesn't cope you know that that would be an interesting story to watch it's the film sort of jumps it's like year one and and you see what happens then year two and it goes I think six years five six Mm -hmm. years it goes across um and like you know there's a lot of potential in the film and I think the performances are great but yeah the the 9-11 of it all does really sour it and really sort of cheapens it I think and I'm not sure I don't know why it was it was made because it doesn't really offer anything interesting. You know, I, again, I think there is something to sort of uh, think about or try and uncover when it comes to young men being radicalised and the people and their families that they leave behind and so on. But it kind of doesn't really do that. It is this sort of star-crossed lovers thing right up until the end. And you go, and you know, there are hints of his radicalization throughout, but it's not, again, I, I, I think it's secondary to the romance, and I'm not really sure why that is when it's based on, well, yeah, when it's about 9-11, I suppose. Mm. There is a sort of trick shot at the end, and and that's when you're sort of really invited to think about what the name co-pilot means and the complicity of the complicitness of, of, of this young woman. But as Rogan says, you know, I think that we're all, interested, concerned, fascinated, whatever the word might be, about how people do get radicalised in this way. And this film has that as its subplot. That's the bit you don't see. Um, so it's almost as if, like, you know, if you marry someone, inevitably they might get radicalised. It's not sort of suggesting how that happens. And as uh, the synopsis points out, she's a phenomenally intelligent woman. She's a medical student. We see a lot of time with her with her cadaver, which um, was an interesting choice on behalf of the filmmaker. Uh, you know, so you do think she's got something to say. She would have something to say about this if he were discussing his ideas with her, whether she's sort of mostly in the position of sort of defending him in family arguments. It is almost like it has that the film upside down, as you say. The, the part that is most fascinating to us uh, as a culture is the subplot. And what is the the main plot is the great unknowability of, that you have. You may be fully in love with someone, you may be married to them. You may take these vows about sharing everything, guarding their secrets. There's a, a, a moment early on which very much hits that nail on the head about that, that being part of their marriage vows is uh, keeping, keeping each other's secrets. But then that, it, it feels like it, pulls its punches uh, you know narratively thematically as it goes there are some interesting parts in it i think the performances are great there's one bit where it's uh, to, to show the bit where in retrospect it's when he's playing the role of um a you know sun-kissed top-down florida man they're they're speeding along to third eye blinds kryptonite <laughs> absolute <laughs> landfill 90s <laughs> rock tune well- the, uh, the opening sequence at the fun fair, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's one about my lover's got no money, but he's got his strong beliefs, mm. which somehow turns your stomach at the end of the film a little bit. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's a bit, definitely some 90s nostalgia there, perhaps, yeah. for some of us. There's interesting things, and you are invited to feel sort of sorry for her because they do talk about the family they want to have and things like this, and obviously she's lost something. But uh, I think the filmmakers knew going in that they were dealing with something that was complicated and controversial um looking at the filmmaker the director she's also made film about abortion and things like this so maybe she's not looking for us to feel better about ourselves or feel like we learned something maybe she's looking to uh make us examine something rather unpleasant but she also sort of gives us this really romantic youthful romance as well so it's hard it's hard to understand and it is something at the end when that complicity is brought to the to the foreground that sense that behind every great man is a woman or you know that, that old adage you know 
whether you believe it or not, that feeling that she unwittingly has been his support all the way through, and he calls yeah calls her his co-pilot is quite chilling. I can see in these kernel moments throughout the really profound film that's within, but there's some, perhaps something missing for me as the film goes on. Should we put some scores on this? Uh, Pamela, I'll come to you first. Uh, so um, I, in, in anticipation, mm-hmm. two. And at times when I was watching it, it almost was a four, but it's 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 down to a three. Um, just because I thought that this is beautiful filmmaking and, I, and I'm left in a torment. Maybe I'll come to terms with it in six months. <laughs> Rogan? Um, I would say three. I think I always try to go in and think, you know, hopefully it's at least the middle ground. Um, and then I would say, yeah, I'd say almost a four as well, watching it. it sort of, yeah, I flip between, yeah, sort of like three, four. Um, there are some really great moments and I can't kind of decide if I feel like the sort of terrorism subplot was maybe a cop-out or, you know, not exploring it, sorry, or having it as a subplot was a cop-out because there's a really great love story there. Again, the performances are great. And then I guess, yeah, two or three in retrospect, I wouldn't rush to watch it again or to recommend it, but it's not it's not a terrible waste of time. Way to spend your time, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. This woman's got a really interesting film in her. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I will say that performances. You know, those actors were fantastic. The filmmaker will will seek out their name again in festivals to come. We haven't had a new release week like this for a while because uh, major studios have had their backlog of COVID delayed films. So there's always a major movie, the must see movie of the week. This week we have, you know, a you know a, a respected festival film and a sort of middling film as well, which we're both giving sort of threes, fours to. Which would you recommend? Uh, Pamela, I'll come to you first, and then Rogan. Which would you recommend out of these two? If you could see one at the cinema this weekend. Gosh, if you had to see one at the cinema this weekend, only because someone would come and knock on my door and be angry with me if I recommended Co-Pilot, uh, even though it's probably better, I'd say Respect. But there is another film out this week. <laughs> yeah, hold, hold that thought. But Rogan, out of the two new releases, uh, of the two, I think I would I would say respect as well. Um, yeah, I yeah I would say respect. <laughs> but yes, as Pamela said, there is another film in cinemas this week. It just ha- doesn't happen to be a brand spanking new one, but it is in a brand new restoration. It is Joseph Losey's The Servants. Tony was rich, indolent charming and a little stupid. He wanted a manservant to do everything for him, but he was too indolent, too charming, and a little too stupid to see that Barrett was bogus to the core, and Barrett, day by day, grew less servile and more indispensable. With elegant savagery, the servant explores the relationship between the servant and his golden young victim. Wow, that's a full tilt <laughs> synopsis if there ever was one. So Pamela, this is an absolute classic of British cinema, always in lists and so on. So many routes into this, stars, the writer, filmmakers. Where should we start with The Servants? Um, start by knowing that this film is from 1963 and it's about the British establishment collapsing in on itself in the most savage and brutal way. There are like snakes, there's corruption, there's mould, everything's falling apart. Uh it's really, I think the easiest way is in through the character of The Servant, which is played by Dirk Bogart. And if you want to know something about great British film history, Dirk Bogart started out as a matinee idol. He was the doctor who was always in love, you know. And then in the 60s, he started getting weird. And so he made Victim with Joseph Losey, who also directed this, the American director, where he played a gay barrister. And then he played The Servant. And by the time the 70s roll around, he's in sick, twisted, European art house films like mm. The Night Porter and Death in Venice. So this is his halfway house and um, halfway house to full on sickness and corruption. And it's pretty, pretty vile. It's a great film. It really is. So much to talk about. Uh, Rogan, what did you make of this? Had you seen this before? Was this a first view for you? This is a first watch for me. And now I'm excited to watch more Joseph Losey um, because he's someone, my, my friend actually told me about this film like a, two years ago. He's like, you, haven't, you have to watch this. And so I've had it in my head and then I was like, okay, brilliant excuse. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. It's brilliant. It's beautifully shot. The story is great. Um, yeah, it, get, it gets under your skin. It's quite dirty in some way, but also incredibly beautiful to watch. Um, it's, 
it is brilliant and I, yeah, I'm excited to um, to explore more of Dirk Bogart and Losi. Yeah, it's I'm very happy. It's like opened up a new world. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the cinematography because that's something that we can always you know re, re revisit or see for the first time in you know popping 4K restorations like this because and it's Douglas Slocum who you know in one of the funniest career trajectories of all time um, 20 30 years after this became Steven Spielberg's cinematographer for Indiana Jones and I think it's actually there there's an amazing sense of space and camera movement within this very claustrophobic uh, townhouse and also the the moves between the the way the way the frame is used and depth of focus to placements of characters in the space is you know you can see that Steven Spielberg could be inspired by something like this even though the style of the film couldn't be more different from what he makes it's all mirrors and stairs every time you you, you can't get away from f1 this the, the set the house was actually made bigger than a townhouse would be and yet it feels smaller it's it's like being locked in the phantom thread house it's it's really disturbing ha- home and the shadows formed by that uh, staircase particularly vile yeah sorry no it's 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 really wonderful and also harold pinter writing the screenplay starting that, that an amazing run of screenplays he would write in the 60s and 70s um but I'd love how his stage plays would be all about power dynamics through dialogue. And that is also matched by Losey and Slocum also using cinematography and, and blocking to also get across power dynamics as they shift. And the film that you think you're going to see, it's almost played out in the first hour of this where it, where, um, uh, Barrett takes Tony for a ride and uh, brings in Vera, who is posing as, as his sister, but is actually his lover, and they, 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 then they're cast out. But then there's a very strange 45 minutes after that where it, it just keeps getting more and more twisted and surreal um, and subversive. Um, Pamela, we should. I'd like to talk about James Fox for a second, and what's what's his legacy that isn't his son, who we shouldn't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's let's only be careful which foxes we discuss. So James Fox um, was actually dating Sarah Miles, I think, who plays Vera, which is a freaky coincidence when you watch the film at some point. So he was pretty brought in for this. And, you know, he's this very tall, blonde, handsome actor who's almost too proper to live. And then, you know, so he had a bit of a career. Then he made performance. Now, if you want to see a, a house in which two polar opposite people go mad in a West London townhouse and you've seen The Servant, you have to watch the performance, which has got him and Mick Jagger, you know, they're a gangster and a rock star, which I think was so disturbing for James Fox to make that he then didn't make another film for a long time. So he has this incredibly powerful career that basically defines 1960s British cinema. Uh, And yeah, he is wonderful in this. He is the son of empire, the idiot, as you point out so well in your synopsis. And he's rather sweet in his naivety. There is almost uh, uh, there's almost a, a moment or two where you want him to sort of beat Barrett, where you want him to get out of it unscathed. But uh, there's no stopping the rise of the working classes. I'm so sorry. It's the 1960s after all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but you know we were talking about co-pilot just then about you know complex politics or themes and similarly with respect films that sort of maybe give a simpler view than the complex view this is a very slippery film to get your handle on it's not as simple as the working class rising up but by the end it's gone full dolce vita and it's all about excess and indulgence and no one seems happy <laughs> no you know and you sort of have to you know it'd be great to read about this film i read about the profumo affair read about the lady shatterley trial read about all these kind of things miniskirts you know but also the film itself is complex psychological warfare you know, and it works on that level. There's no way you would believe the film is going to go exactly where it goes at the beginning. I don't know how you felt about that, Rogan. I mean, obviously, you're watching it for the first time. No, yeah, no, I agree. I, I didn't really know where it was going. And I and I was... What well, One thing I found really interesting is um, there's no kind of reason for, you know, there's no rationale. It's like he's doing this because he has you know, really strong moral convictions, you know, and he he's, you know, there's no indication that he is, you know, I am going to rise up as the working class. He just does it. And I really like that because sometimes rich idiots should be punished and it's, it, and it was just really uh, nice to see, you know, it was just nice. I like that aspect of it, the, the lack of explanation and just the psychological warfare and just, just because, 
and um, the way it moved, it was, yeah, it was wonderful. Because yeah, Tony's not really the establishment, is he? He sort of just bought this house. It's it's falling apart. You know, he isn't he isn't really all he pretends to be. So he's phony, and he sort of should be brought down. You know, he's he doesn't even know what he wants from a manservant. And what kind of what kind of gentleman is he? What's yeah. it? The great line: "I'm a gentleman's gentleman, and you're no gentleman." That's a great line. It's it's always uh, you know, whenever we talk about these restorations and re-releases, sometimes we, it, it can be you know, tinged with a sense of something we've lost that we don't see films like this again. But actually, watching The Servant again for the first time in a decade or whatever, it reminded me quite strongly, both in the sense of this phony at the centre, this directionless you know, ambition, and also the fact that it's this mouldy old British house that does not look it look nice to live in at all. Remind me of The Nest, uh, Sean Durkin's film that only came out a couple of weeks ago, has a similar sort of uh, creeping tension and uh, rot at the core of British society, and it would be wonderful to see those two side by side. I don't know if either of you have watched that film yet. No, I haven't seen that one yet. I mean, I was watching it and I thought, oh, this is going to be like Parasite. It's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can, yeah. you can definitely draw some like surface level uh, comparisons, but um, but no, it isn't quite like Parasite. Maybe a bit more talented Mr. Ripley almost. Mm, um, yeah. But still, no, definitely its own thing, its own wonderful thing. Yeah. So, so Rogan, would you wish to go deeper into into this after after watching The Surface? Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'd echo Pamela's recommendation of performance. That's and so it's almost like this is pre-Beatlemania and performance is post-Beatlemania, and looking at almost the similar things from two different angles. Yeah, or um, watch Accident, which is um, Joseph Losey and Dirk Bogard again. Pinter and Bogard plays a, a sort of sleazy Oxford don, and that really is all about sexual harassment, basically, and the corruption at the heart of the British establishment, which you know is an endless theme, endless theme. Uh, that's a great. One. The well's um, deep on that one. You can, yeah. <laughs> it never runs out. Yeah, no, but brilliant. Thank you. I'll, yeah, I'll check those out. Absolutely. And let us know what you make of it if you do watch any of those films. And listeners, let us know too uh, if you've watched either the new releases this week or the servant. Maybe it's a revisit. Maybe it's a first watch. Let us know what you think at the usual channels at LWLies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com via email. Pamela Rogan, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining me this week. Next week, everybody's talking about Jamie, and so are we. We're also reviewing Rose plays Julie, and since it's twenty years since the release of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. We're going to revisit that in Film Club 2. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod. And if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love you to leave one for us too. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.